0: This podcast contains strong language, adult humour and is intended for a mature audience. And welcome to Is It Art Though? The art history podcast that keeps your highbrow on fleek, presented by me, Augustina. And me, Ellie. And this week we are going to be looking at not an art movement or a particular artist, but actually just a single piece of art, which is Hieronymus Bosch's Garden of Earthly Delights. But before we do that, in between our last two episodes and this episode, which we know has been a tragically long time, (laughs) it turns out the art world has has really been bringing it in the last (laughs) month or so.
1: Yeah so just on things that we're finding funny in art at the moment Pornhub has decided to get involved in the art world by basically offering virtual tours of erotic art in some of the world's leading galleries. So the Louvre and uh, the Museum of Modern Art are all included (laughs) in their virtual tours of classical nudes because according to Pornhub there is a treasure trove of erotic art around the world depicting nudes, orgies, and more that's not available on Pornhub. <laughs> <up. laughs> <laughs> These pre-internet art pieces are currently sitting in museums which we are now finally able to start visiting again as covid restrictions are starting to lift. You can either visit in person and have a sort of Pornhub guide to nudes or you can view them on the Pornhub website. I actually think this is, you know, in many ways quite a noble thing of Pornhub to do. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Just like I- listen here you horny macgyvers. <laughs>
0: I also like that Pornhub (laughs) assumes people don't know that there were nudes before porn or that people think that porn was only a thing that happened since like 2000
1: it's also really it's also really troll as well because like for years people have been like it's not porn it's art (laughs) like classical nudes are not pornography and Pornhub's just like yeah they are it's not art it's just porn it's (laughs) porn it's classical porn (laughs) yeah so but actually as a backlash to this the Louvre in Paris have decided to sue Pornhub and I believe that other museums are also getting in on the (laughs) lawsuit so according to the Louvre Pornhub have heard from their lawyers. <laughs> and so, you know, from their perspective, Pornhub did not seek permission to uh show these, and so they've decided that, that that's not alright, so they're suing them. I think realistically as well, Pornhub has kind of already just got what it wanted, which was a yeah. splash in the papers. It wasn't like so that sort of tickled me this week. Um <laughs> It is worth pointing out, though, at this point, this is funny and it's fine to laugh at, but obviously Pornhub have come under some quite intense scrutiny for not protecting pornography makers on their site, or or actually, if you think about it the other way around, protecting pornography makers on their site far too much, but not protecting the women who are involved in pornography. Many of them may be underage or have not consented to have those videos shared. And there's also been some stuff around makers of porn that they exhibit on their website, being arrested and facing charges for things like people trafficking. We are not, yeah, we are not in any way condoning any of that. And we find it utterly, like... Abor- deplorable. Yeah, deplor- yeah deplorable abhorrent, abhorrent. Yeah. But, abhorrent. <laughs> but also this is quite a funny story so I thought I'd share it yeah I
0: mean I think what's probably happened speaking of someone who works in marketing I mean poor must have marketing people surely <laughs> yeah. I guess someone must have just I thought, mean oh. sex
1: sells itself though
0: I was about to say maybe do you know if someone just was like mm, I feel like this visits to the site are down or something <laughs> I don't know what can we or maybe they're trying to like get a different kind of audience in <laughs> <laughs> they're like, maybe they're, they're just trying to better the world It's maybe. a noble pursuit I like how they're like Did you know <laughs> There's all these nudes that you've, that you've never seen it's like they are just there like, you can just go I and also see like them. the way as well
1: The brazenly like capitalist way Pornhub is like there's all of these nudes And we don't own them Yeah <laughs> we we must be the bearer of all titties yeah (laughs) all titties belong to Pornhub
0: they're just trying to become the the master platform of of boob access (laughs) it's the Amazon of titties yeah (laughs) we'll deliver them to wherever you are (laughs) beam them straight into your home. (laughs) But also, I feel like, so I know what you said about like the exploitation of actors in porn. We'll we'll find, this comes up again and again in episodes about art as well. Models are not treated well. Like, we found that out in the pre-Raphaelites episode. Mm -hmm. Frida was very much in charge of her own kind of destiny in the last episode, but she suffered a lot. If anybody owned their own
1: titties, it was Uh, Frida Kahlo.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and she was fully in charge of when she got them out and when she didn't (laughs) get them out yeah there's there's loads of examples of like uh picasso had some stuff going on with some underage models and stuff so like yeah sadly there are lots of ways in which in which art and porn are uh quite similar
1: Mm. so what have you found funny in the art world of late augustina
0: so this is one that is very close to londoners hearts (laughs) david hockney was asked to do a redesign of the piccadilly circus sign for london's tube and people have had a lot to say about it (laughs) especially on twitter because it does look like uh that david hockney basically made it on paint (laughs) badly (laughs) badly on paint uh, and so people have decided To make their own versions On Twitter which I love <laughs> um, I think that's so
2: good Onion, onion rings, rings. <laughs>
0: <laughs> So I just opened one That literally just says onion <laughs>
1: on it uh, no. so I think the point is it's supposed to be crap like yeah. it's supposed to look like somebody just knocked it off on, on paint really yeah. badly or like it was drawn by a child but I think people especially because like obviously the Lo- London Underground is partly a publicly owned like enterprise I think yeah I think a lot of people were like I cannot believe we paid David Hockney millions to do yeah. something I literally could have knocked up on paint in yeah. two minutes oh my god like-
0: here, look. It says um, Piccadilly Circus art. Part of Sadiq Khan's seven million pound London campaign is ridiculed online. I mean, yes, of course, but it, it does cut It sort of gets to the heart of: Is it art, though? I mean, like, yes, a very famous artist did this, but also, <laughs>
1: is it art, though? Is
0: it? I don't know. <laughs> it says Piccadilly Circus. <laughs> Oh look, Mayor of London, brilliant work from David Hockney in Piccadilly, the first of a series of major art projects we've commissioned lots more to come very soon. (laughs) I tell
1: you what I do like though, and I've always liked this. It's not about David Hockney. Like, I've always liked this. This is an intersection of some of the weird things that I'm into. Mm. We often use tube stations as a way of showing some really quite great art. So a lot of the mosaic work is really beautiful. There's lots of murals and stuff like that on London Underground tube stations. And I do really enjoy that because I like the tube. I'm a Londoner and I like art. So it's one of those weird, like, intersections of things I'm interested in and also i'm just re- i'm really into like public art and i feel yeah. like people should be able to see art for free just in the world as they're moving around but also this logo shite <laughs> yeah,
0: i'm afraid <laughs> i'm sorry david me. we've decided it is not art though <laughs> um, so hieronymus bosch's garden of earthly delights which we both love, and ever since the, before we even started actually like properly recording these episodes, we we were like, we want to do this painting. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because we both agreed. It's just it's like it's so batshit <laughs> that we had to talk about it because just yeah, I've been obsessed. So I remember the the, uh, the first time I ever saw it was in my mum had one of those tashin guides like the little paperback ones mm-hmm. and they do about different artists and she had a book about hieronymus bosch and weirdly like i think she we have a really eclectic selection of those books at home so i think she just picked up a bunch at random that she liked the look of including yeah. this one and <laughs> found this painting in it and i was like what is this like, <laughs> like 13 year old me was like this is mental <laughs> i love it <laughs> i guess the first thing to say about this painting really is going to be the theme that runs throughout this episode is we don't know a whole lot about it and when i say we i don't just mean us two who are just some weirdos in our pajamas <laughs> talking about art it's i mean art historians in general really have disagreed about this painting nobody.
1: The, i remember it's- when we when we first started talking about researching this and we put on that documentary and the first line of the documentary is nobody knows anything about ross on Bar- were we're like, "Oh fashion <laughs> so, so we
0: we like we take turns to research different topics and this one was my turn i was like oh god
2: why have i picked this
0: <laughs> But yeah so this work is notoriously mysterious and so is its creator and it's also the more I researched it the more I found it's actually also intensely like dense and detailed and full of symbolism so we're gonna try and do it justice in this episode but there's like a huge amount that you can discover about it so um in the basically in the description for this for this episode I'm gonna put loads of resources about like different documentaries and different like there's a there's an interactive virtual tour of the painting which allows you to zoom up really close in and it gives you little bits of information so if you if you like this painting and you like what we're talking about then go definitely go away and look up all the other stuff that i include because you can learn loads more about it i had
1: so much fun with that um With that link that you were talking about, where you can zoom into parts of the painting and it's interactive. Yeah,
0: and it gives you this weird, like, medieval sort of lute music, (laughs) Um,
1: which again is another one of our random
2: interests. (laughs) Yeah, things we're into. Yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) hardcore. I think to start, we should start. So, just as an interlude, by the way, we've moved our recording studio to the dining room table. Not that we have a dining room, but we have a big table, and. The dining table in our living room, living room slash kitchen, (laughs) and the cat has decided this week that she wants to get involved in the new recording studio (laughs) setup. So uh,
1: there there may be some um, noises, noises, and also just some me screaming abusively at a small furry animal
0: (laughs) (laughs) she's really been testing it since we started i saw her trying to wreck the sofa and i was like i'm not gonna bite i'm just gonna let her do it this time (laughs) i know what she wants she wants us to stop recording (laughs) and pay attention to her but we're not gonna do that see you
1: may think of this (laughs) as like the ramblings of two very paranoid people but the cat is an evil genius the cat is. is an evil manipulative genius
0: she really is I don't know where she is and then she disappears as well and then you don't know where she is and then she jumps out at you. So, Hieronymus Bosch, let's start with the man who made the work. Like the painting, we actually don't know much about him at all. He left no records about his life, no notes on his paintings, barely signed most of the paintings we think are attributed to him and no information about himself. Over the years, art historians have pieced together a pretty rough biography based on the few fragments we have. So he was born Jeroen van Aken in Hertogenbosch, which was the capital of Brabant in the Netherlands. It seems that his father and grandfather were also painters, which is probably where he'd have learned his craft. In terms of his professional... Mm -hmm. Sorry, can
1: I just ask a question? So is it the case at this point that painting was almost like an apprentice thing so you'd hand it down from generation to generation yeah okay
0: and we're just a little bit before the period where you get the cult of the like superstar artists right so so when we get more into the background you'll see that like we're on the tipping point basically of the renaissance where where you get the you know the da vinci's and the michelangelos coming in but before then it's more of yeah like an artisan craft where it gets sort of passed down in your apprentice and you learn in workshops right in terms of his professional name, why is he called Hieronymus Bosch? I've always found this quite interesting. I discovered it's because Jeroen or Jerome in Latin uh, becomes Hieronymus, and Hertigen Bosch is commonly shortened to Den Bosch, hence the surname Bosch. So essentially, he was he became like Latinized Jerome of Bosch. Oh my God, Hieronymus Bosch that's who jeromey
1: Romy rome -rome is is. (laughs) every time kanye west shouts that out we don't know (laughs) who he's talking about
0: watch Watch your mouth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) he's actually just talking about hieronymus bosch the whole time
0: (laughs) so what we do know about hieronymus bosch comes from very brief references in the den bosch municipal records and from the account books of a local order he joined uh, called the Brotherhood of Our Lady, which sounds very, like, Da Vinci code <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like, what is this? So we don't really know what his date of birth is, but based on a hand-drawn portrait of him made shortly before his, his death, which was in 1516, art historians have sort of tried to backdate that. He looks like he's in his 60s, so they've sort of backdated his date of birth to around 1450 so very early renaissance basically so sometime between 1479 and 1481 bosch married a lady whose name i'm gonna wreck right now <laughs> called alet goyerts van der Meerven, who was a few years older than him and came from a wealthy family they moved to a nearby town where his wife had inherited a house and land from from her family He seemed to have quite a comfortable life. So he'd married into this very wealthy family. In 1488, he joined this highly respected Brotherhood of Our Lady, which was a religious group of 40 influential citizens of Denbosch and also 7,000 outer members from around Europe. So this would have put him in contact with lots of influential people, probably lots of patrons. Much of his work filled the Brotherhood's dedicated chapel. So he actually received a lot of commissions from that from that group so it was basically okay. a really good networking group for him <laughs> to get lots of work an entry in the accounts of the brotherhood <clears throat> records bosch's death as 1516 and so it's ba- his marriage and his death are basically the two things we actually definitively know about
1: him so i think there was also in one of the documentaries i watched there was like his marriage his death and some small
0: like land dispute with <laughs> yeah, like a yeah. cousin or something <laughs> imagine imagine that that's what you're known for. And also just some really batshit pain. But I just love the idea that, like,
1: there's this crazy batshit, like, uh, painter who's also just extremely petty yeah. <laughs> and really into, like, local bureaucracy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
0: it seems from what we know, he was. He had a big funeral mass, uh, held when he died So it seems that he was quite a well-respected and successful member of society in Den Bosch. To give a bit of background on what the world was like at the time when Bosch was alive and what was going on while he was painting Garden of Earthly Delights, historians think, based on what we know about events going on at the time, that he would have been painting this around 1490 to 1510. So Hieronymus Bosch was working during the Renaissance when artists and thinkers were challenging lots of previously held ideas including those of the catholic church and to kind of put this painting into context of what else was going on at the time henry VIII was on the throne <laughs> uh kind of working through his six wives <laughs> key thinkers at the time included erasmus and thomas More, who were these really cute pen pals um, <laughs> learned about them at uni and ever since i just thought it was so cute that they used to like write to each other and send each other things i found this really cool thing and in 1516 which is the year bosch died the reformation was on the brink of sweeping across europe which would lead to the protestant religion in his lifetime the spanish inquisition took place da vinci was painting the mona lisa around the time that he was alive columbus was exploring america and uh, Copernicus proposed that it was the sun and not the Earth at the center of the solar system. So the reason I bring all of this up is because many people, including me, actually mist mistake uh, Hieronymus Bosch for a medieval artist. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely thought he was medieval before I started researching this, which is pretty bad, given that I've loved this painting for so long. But he's actually not. No, I
1: think it's... you. Well, you look at it and it looks kind of medieval. Yeah. And also, I think, yeah, like, I've discussed this before. It's never really clear in my mind where kind of medieval stops and renaissance starts.
0: I guess there is, like, a hint of... There's, like, an overlap period, isn't there? Yeah. So...
1: And also, yeah, he was like part of the Northern Renaissance, which is, you know, obviously of a different flavour to like the Italian Renaissance.
0: Yeah. So because of all that, I guess I just feel it's important to just make, bring up now that he is very much a Renaissance artist influenced by Renaissance ideas. And I think the reason I made this mistake and yeah, lots of other people make this mistake, is because his work does have a very medieval flavour, like you said, and it's just so strange and inscrutable. And I think it definitely inherits a lot from medieval art, but isn't medieval. Mm. And you can see it's not medieval once you actually... Kind of understand what's going on, I guess, because he does use a visual language that we're just not as used to. Especially, I mean, that is the
1: thing, isn't it? Like medieval art is ape shit, and yeah, <laughs>
0: like, is ape shit. Like, do you remember we saw this when I was researching this episode. There was a painting of a man with a funnel on his head, and they were like, "Yeah, we don't know why. Yeah. We'll never know." We'll know. They meant, it meant some real. It's like the James Brown bit that Eddie Murphy does. Yeah. It's like it meant some real deep shit to Horanumus <laughs> us. <over his> <laughs> no one else knows what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> very much the james brown of of the northern renaissance (laughs) 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 um but yeah so um i'll kind of go into this a bit more in a sec but it's true when we talk about the renaissance a lot of people automatically think of the italian renaissance and that has a very specific look to it it often uses things like linear perspective and very specific subject matter and treatment that's kind of trained us mm-hmm. for a lot of the art that comes after and i think a lot of the art that comes after was very influenced by the italian renaissance yeah. as opposed to the northern renaissance And Bosch's work doesn't really always subscribe to these rules either. He kind of picks and chooses when he wants to be a bit medieval and a bit Renaissance and stuff, which is why his stuff is so kind of mad. and just doesn't really make much sense. So yeah, so working in the Netherlands, Bosch was part of the Northern European Renaissance. So that includes, I guess, obviously these countries didn't exist at the time, but like lots of Germany, bits of Belgium, probably Mm -hmm. northern bits of France... i guess england as well would have counted in northern european renaissance so it's not and it looks very interesting
1: because i don't know anything about how england would have contributed to the northern do you know what actually uh
0: so there is a really good documentary on iplayer all about this which is it by BBC4? It, yes, oh. when, when BBC4 was still doing good stuff. Yes, it's called A Very British Renaissance and it is actually really good. Oh my
1: god, I'm gonna watch this. Every mad question in your head has been answered by BBC4. I oh am no. like, So <laughs> <Come> upsetting. <back.
0: laughs> BBC4 doesn't even have a Twitter account anymore. Oh. Really sad. Anyway, anyway. Oh, sorry, it still gets me. <laughs> it still hurts. <laughs> but yeah, Very British Renaissance. Would recommend, it's very good. Uh, Where was I? Oh yeah, so Northern European Renaissance. To kind of just explain the differences between... I think if you looked at two paintings side by side, you would automatically say, yes, these look different, even though they were painted at the same time. But the main differences are, particularly with religious art, actually... Italian renaissance art uses linear perspective much more so <laughs> this whole idea of you know stuff nearer to you is bigger <laughs> stuff further away is smaller wacky I know. wacky ideas wild um,
1: wacky
0: Mediterranean
1: ideas <laughs>
0: what are they like <laughs> and uh it was also focused much more on accurately portraying the human anatomy so people looked like actual people more <laughs> than European renaissance were like, nah <laughs> they are focused on they they're more focused on very very fine naturalistic details. You'll see a lot like it, you you can like zoom in and see the most insane kind of attention to tiny blades of grass. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, call back to the pre-raphaelites. The pre-raphaelites were really really into that style. Right. So actually, they liked the very early Italian Renaissance, but I think they're also very influenced by the Northern Renaissance okay. because there are a lot of you know i was saying like italian renaissance had a big impact on mm-hmm. art going forwards and actually yeah i think the northern renaissance is sometimes seen as commonly country
1: cousin yeah being yeah. a little
0: bit more sort of backward but actually it's got its own, basically it's just got its own look and feel and it It just evolved in a different way from italy so
1: i obviously don't agree with the idea that the northern Renaissance was like a country cousin or like a poor relation but i also just um find it really funny that essentially the pre-raphaelites are just hipsters they're so hipster the more we look into this the more they're
0: just deeply hipster they're just just like we're just really into the early stuff this stuff you haven't heard of (laughs) yeah um so i just i liked the renaissance before
1: it got famous
0: And then just like dressing up like fucking medieval peasants. (laughs) They're so hipster. They're so hipster. Oh, so sweet. (laughs) So, yeah, while both uh, the Northern and Italian Renaissances were interested in Christian themes and stories, I guess where it branches off a bit is the Italian drew a lot on ancient Greek and Roman material much more so than the northern which was kind of influenced by some of the writings that from classical greece and rome but they were more interested in portraying i guess christian scenes everyday life lots of detail mm-hmm. that's more where their interest lay to situate den Bosch in amongst all of this it was a really flourishing city in 15th century brabant it was a fiercely catholic city it boasted over 40 churches chapels monasteries and a gothic cathedral Wow, how big
1: is it? Do you know? I
0: don't, I bet nowadays it's probably kind of tiny. But like, but at the time, one in 16 citizens worked for the church at the time. Wow.
1: Which is a lot. That is a lot.
0: So religion was just, you couldn't escape it. It was, it was the state. It was your leisure. It was your job. It was everything. There was a big fire in Denbosch in 1463 where 4,000 houses were destroyed. And we think that bosh hieronymus Bosch would have been about 13 at the time and he might have witnessed it and people who think that also think that that's probably massively influenced all of the crazy hellscapes yeah. that he's that he's painted so these big fiery kind of burning things importantly at the time this painting was made people firmly believed in heaven and hell now hell is is never actually mentioned in the bible Mm -hmm. specifically as a place like a big fiery pit where you get punished that actually comes from a combination of later mistranslations and also from medieval art and from visionary infernal literature like dante's inferno and also uh the vision of tundale they all influence this image of hell that Mm. gets really into people's kind of psyche i was
1: gonna say it's it's kind of crazy to think about that because obviously like hell is now so like that that image of hell is so ubiquitous you can't imagine that there was ever not that image of hell yeah but you're right like I know this anyway that that hell is never mentioned like that in the Bible it's never spoken about that in the Bible mm. I wonder w- why that turn happened especially considering like I feel like medieval people yeah I I want to say literal they weren't they weren't literal but they literally did believe mm. that heaven and hell were places as opposed to just
0: I mean I wonder if it's a case of like even in classical times there was a belief in like an underworld mm. and maybe it was just too much because oh, yeah, this... you had
1: like Hades right yeah. that's the yeah
0: and you had like the nice bit which is the Elysian fields which is kind of like heaven I guess where mm. everything's nice and people frolic around and then you've got like hell where you've got these really creative t- punishments <laughs> maybe it's it was just too much for people to do away with an idea of like no hell yeah so they had to invent one even though it was never specifically mentioned so with all that in mind i think we are ready to actually turn to the painting and the first thing you notice is that it's not actually one but three paintings joined together which is known as a triptych triptychs painted on wood like this piece were very often made as altarpieces, and they were kept closed except for special occasions like holy days when you'd get to see the amazing inside People did wonder, like, was it intended for use in a church? And experts have argued over this for years. But now the general consensus is no. It was most likely intended for a private patron. And most probably as, like, a... Just a very expensive conversation piece. (laughs) So it's interesting. Because it is... It's already... You know if I had money,
1: this would be the mad shit I'd be commissioning. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. know. Give me some hellscapes.
0: (laughs) And, like... Isn't so you can already. I mean, we'll we'll see this throughout the episode. He's already playing with like using forms and subject, like he he takes a lot of things that are traditionally meant for the church, but puts them into a secular setting, which I think is where you start to get these this kind of medieval Christian and new Renaissance ideas mm-hmm. like bumping up against each other. So in terms of who we think commissioned it, we think it was a guy called Henry III of Nassau who. <laughs> is your like historical (laughs) doppelganger. He's not a baller. (laughs) So we know from records that um, the painting hung in the town palace of the court of Nassau in Brussels, which was Henry III's kind of, I guess, seat, family seat. The aristocratic family were influenced by humanist ideals, which we'll go into in a sec. And they were known to collect art so it's likely they were the people who commissioned it. And the record from the year after his death said some panels on which bizarre things have been painted. <laughs> and I like how art historians were like, that's the one, that's our guy. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> there's only one painting that could be that but yeah clearly people at the time would have enjoyed kind of leaning in looking at it looking at all the crazy scenes trying to make sense of it and it's kind of important to put it into context of this guy's house yes so this guy was changing his home into a very fancy renaissance court with lots of art and curiosities which included this painting a meteorite And a massive bed, a massive bed. I so <laughs> like is I've
1: come across this house before, and it is literally like my Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> I've never wanted to visit anywhere more, although I don't think it, it exists exist anymore. anymore. I it up. Yeah. It so exist. this guy made his house into like a crazy museum full of like stuffed like exotic animals and like <laughs> and I've just got this yeah and like meteorites and and Hieronymus Bosch's painted <laughs> and I just I've got this idea of it just being like it's like my Willy Wonka's chocolate factory <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, just there's a stuffed bear over there yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess actually now is a good time to explain humanism because we talked about this before off air the humanism that we're talking about in terms of the renaissance is different from the humanism we know about today
2: Mm -hmm.
0: it's an intellectual movement that happened during the renaissance and it began in late 14th century italy and spread to the rest of europe during the 15th century which was around the time that bosch was kicking around It became the dominant intellectual movement and it basically believed that a body of learning, so like humanistic studies, which is where we get humanities from today actually, consists of the study and imitation of classical culture of ancient Rome and Greece, um, which according to the uh, Oxford Bibliography website would produce a cultural rebirth after what they saw as the decadent and barbarous learning of the Middle Ages. So people, barbarous barbarous
1: learning of the Middle
0: Ages. I don't. Also, what like what? (laughs) I know.
1: So what was decadent or barbarous?
0: (laughs) I I I guess their belief was. So they had this renewed interest in the classics, which we've literally taken to the present day. So this whole idea of like classical art, classical sculpture, classical thought, like Aristotle and Socrates and all the rest of it it has its kind of origins here and I think why it was so important was because during the middle ages the church basically controlled everything about life every day
2: yeah
0: so literally what you could eat when you could have sex what days you were allowed to work when you were allowed to rest the church basically told you all of that as we get into the renaissance and people start becoming more and more interested in other ways of thinking and other ways of living life which is basically what ancient greek and roman philosophers talk about i think people you start to see a kind of i mean i wouldn't say like a massive split between church and state because obviously that doesn't happen for a long time Mm -hmm. but you start to see people questioning ways of thinking and ways of living life. Yeah. And also ways of expressing yourself in art and ways of thinking intellectually. So it really did have a huge influence. And that's not to say that people weren't interested in classical literature in the Middle Ages. But I think there was a, like, it, the Bible was not the most, imp- like, it wasn't the, the only text kind of thing. Like, there were other big texts That you should now be reading about and thinking about.
1: Well, I guess one of the things as well would be like the literacy thing. Because I'm Mm. guessing that... I mean, I think I know that basically the only people that would have been literate at this time would have been either people of the church Mm. or... I guess like royalty would be the yeah. only people that were literate at the time so you know if that's the case then clearly the like the big framework is going to be the bible because yeah. you've been made literate in order to study the bible
0: and actually i guess what's interesting is that in terms of the origins of humanism i found out that it was actually lay people so people who weren't in the church in Italy were the beginnings of it so i guess you could say that maybe as you got more of like a mercantile almost not really like a middle class but people who were educated to have some kind of a job so maybe to be a lawyer or to become a merchant or whatever makes sense that actually you also want to be educated and become a sort of well-rounded individual Mm -hmm. and so you start reading stuff in latin and then sometimes that's like you know classical writings and a bit of the but and then i think you find that people's i guess just their horizons kind of broaden yeah. a bit and then people start you know writing poetry and doing all sorts of stuff and essentially it's when uh, ideas from ancient greece and rome start really entering the mainstream <laughs> the mainstream culture um so i think it's important to talk about that really because it's it's a big part of It's just a big part of the ideas behind, you know, why this painting even got commissioned, what Hieronymus Bosch is painting about, and all sorts of things. It's just, it feeds into everything. So this, the guy, Henry III, the fact that he had this crazy house full of art and curiosities and, and stuff, that's all part of a kind of humanist ideology of like, wanting to it's like a intellectual curiosity about the world it means that you're broadening your horizons beyond saying oh god just created everything and that's that's fine you're like oh i want to collect this weird bit of coral and look (laughs) at it some more and i want that weird meteorite where did that even come from (laughs) space what's space so like you know (laughs) so yeah so it's it's um stuff was kicking off in the renaissance basically and bosch's painting is in the middle of all that So with that in mind, let's turn to the painting itself. So what you'll notice here, if I try and... I'm using the interactive (laughs) thing. This is a bit of the painting that people just don't even normally see and people don't realise is there, but there's actually not necessarily even three paintings in one, there's actually four because the painting has outer panels. So um,
1: I actually didn't even know that the the out the outer panels existed. So I I had my mind blown by them the other day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, because you you see these paintings on like the internet or maybe in books or whatever, and they often don't depict the outer panels. Yeah, I've I've never seen it live,
0: so yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm guessing when it's hung up, it's probably not even kept closed. It's probably kept open because yeah. people want to see the inside. But yeah, the outer panels are painted in a typical netherlandish style of style which is basically painting just in grey tones uh, and that's very normal for altarpieces of the time so bosch is still going along and like following all the kind of rules of painting a triptych it just so happens that it's not for a church and the inside is crazy <laughs> people generally agree that these outer panels depict the creation of the world You'll see a clear globe suspended in darkness and inside we can see clouds, water, rocks and, I mean, what Hieronymus Bosch clearly thinks are plants, but... <laughs> <laughs> what is that? It looks like a scorpion. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like, what, what is going on? And also, like, I like how the world is... It's round, but also actually... I was saying this before i was like how did they believe the world was round and flat well we have the answer now it's a circle but essentially i don't know what he thinks is going on in the bottom half nothing (laughs) it's only filled halfway and the earth is just flat there and the sky's in the top half so now we know yeah there's just like some clouds and other stuff going on and um this depiction of the world as a crystal sphere actually comes from the idea of heavenly or celestial spheres classical and medieval scholars describe the earth as universe as spherical and finite with a series of nesting spheres which is like a russian doll with the earth in the center god is a little tiny bearded man (laughs) in the corner there he is and next to him is a quote from Psalm 33 in Latin, which reads, For he spake and it was done, he commanded and it stood fast. From this, we think that Bosch is depicting the third day of creation, which is before he made human or animal life. Right. There's actually, I did a bit of extra reading, and it's interesting that he picks this day because, given the subject matter of the inside, which is about like the kind of creation of adam and eve and then the fall of humanity and sin and everything people think that maybe he picks the third day of creation because it was basically before before humans before he before there was anything that would have caused yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: humans are the virus yeah
0: (laughs) so we basically go from from nothingness before creation to the quite literally fruitful world, as we'll see, following the creation of animals Adam and Eve. So we go to the inside panels, we get the rest of the story. What Bosch does with these three panels is actually a little unconventional. So he's taken the triptych form and kind of played with it a bit. Traditional triptychs designed for altarpieces would have the main action in the center with the two outer panels usually occupied by saints or some kind of um, additional story. So the left-hand and right-hand panels would play a sort of supporting role to the middle, which uh-huh. is like all good boy bands. And...
1: <laughs> the middle panel very much been the Justin Timberlake yeah. <laughs> of the affair.
0: Yes. <laughs> which is what you'd normally expect. And one brilliant example of this style that Bosch and other Northern Renaissance painters would have admired is the Ghent Altarpiece by Jan van Eyck. It's hugely detailed and we don't have enough time to go into it here. But if you look at it, you'll see that everything is focused on the action in the centre and everything points towards the middle. However, Bosch's triptych reads from left to right. So while the main action and the main thrust of the message is in the middle, you actually need to read it from left to right in order to understand what it's all about. I mean, I think understanding this is, is, a, a, is a stretch. stretch.
1: <laughs> to, to get a vague flavour of the <laughs> mental shit, to read it from left to right.
0: Yeah. This is a little bit like, uh, it's a bit like a David Lynch film or something. I feel like, you know if someone asked you what it's about? Yeah. Like, I remember I watched Holland Drive and then I was like, I mean, I watched it, I was there for time past, things happened, but I couldn't, I couldn't really, I could describe what happened, <laughs> I couldn't tell you what it was about, and I think this painting is very similar. Uh, what does it mean? In What's Fast Becoming, the catchphrase of this episode, we don't know, <laughs> scholars have different opinions. Yeah. The prevailing meaning that's been around the longest, and which I think i from what I've read, I think I I would agree with, is that it depicts the dangers of succumbing to earthly pleasures and specifically lust. In the 20th century, some art historians have argued that it's actually a celebration of earthly pleasures and bliss but i this think that's a real such, that's just, such
1: a like modern i know reading it's a real hippy dippy yeah kind of take
0: like, i'm like just no no all right also
1: no. i'm sorry have you met catholics yeah. like this dude was like a, a hardcore catholic have yeah. you met catholicism basically an ent- an entire religion built on not celebrating carnal lust
0: <laughs> Yes. <laughs> As, uh, I mean, as two born and raised Catholics <laughs> speaking here and I went to Catholic school for my whole education <laughs> up until university, I can confirm yeah. that, yes, lust is bad. Lust yes, is bad. <laughs> lust is bad. You will get punished. Yeah, our sex ed classes are hilarious. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not convinced by the the kind of new age yeah. take on this especially given the right hand bloody panel. church of england take on this <laughs> <laughs> it's all wanking and biscuits with those <laughs> lot. i think it's a celebration of bliss no i've no. seen the right hand panel <laughs> shame shame and torture stuff horrible things going in and out of people's asses. like <laughs> it's not it's not it's not a fun ride <laughs> Catholicism's not about things being a fun ride <laughs> So I would say that whatever the hell is going on in the middle panel for Bosch, it clearly has consequences on the right. Uh, So I mean, I think if, and you've got to think about the time and the context this man was living in a deeply Catholic, God fearing society. I would say that if Hieronymus Bosch is making a point with this painting, it is probably that lots of wild free sex is a bad thing and i mean you're like i say you're coming out of a time where even though the renaissance was more enlightened you're coming out of a time where the church did literally tell i mean i don't know how often people followed this but the church told you basically like what you could do and when and that yeah. and that did actually include sex so
1: and even then is it not true that sex was not for pleasure either uh-uh. and that you should not experience pleasure from it it Mm-mm. was purely for making a baby yeah and if you did experience pleasure from sex you were doing it wrong and you would be punished <laughs> yes
2: pretty
0: much i mean i'm reading a really good book at the moment called a curious history of sex and um yeah that's yeah that's basically the upshot It's like it sounds like people did used to have fun but it really wasn't allowed (laughs) so so i would say that that is the main argument here but as ever with Bosch, you can't completely take that on face value he is a renaissance man and he is influenced by humanist ideas and new ways of thinking so he sort of i would almost say that this painting and it's gonna sound like the most wanky thing ever but it's, it's almost like an like an essay on like <laughs> it's like a visual essay on like, <laughs> on like the idea of pleasure being dangerous and sinful and he kind of probes it questions it turns it around looks at it from different angles so he makes you think about this in a new way and i would say for people looking at it at the time i think they would have probably got that because as we were saying it's kind of intended for a quite an elite well-educated audience there is so many things that i think it's it looks mad to us because well to be fair someone at the time said it was bizarre okay it looked mad to everyone <laughs> but people at the time would have understood it a bit more because there's a lot of symbolism that uh, there's for example now people are trying to decode it because there's so many things that could be little puns that we just don't know about because obviously language has changed and stuff so for example there are a lot of birds in this entire all three panels and a very kind of obscure old dutch plural for bird is vogelen and apparently that was also at the time a kind of a a, 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 a way of talking about like having sex right so people think that maybe all the birds in bosch's right. painting are another allusion to sex that again we wouldn't get that now but at the time people might have found that quite funny or like
1: i also I, I like like this this is so catholic like it's <laughs> just they're just obsessed with sex yeah it's
0: like <laughs> let's just draw what you really just are not you can't have yeah, just absolutely it's furious doodling <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe Bosch just sex. didn't have enough wank. <laughs> so he ended up creating a masterpiece.
1: <laughs> this is a massive, massive essay on sexual frustration from yes. Bosch. A massive visual essay on sexual frustration.
0: Yeah. I wanna start we're we gonna I'm gonna go from left to right at like at the way Bosch would have wanted it. <laughs> what (laughs) he (laughs) said so this scene is it's already unconventional because it is a picture of jesus in the garden of eden with adam and eve which never happened yeah he's already starting to mess around with biblical stories biblical imagery because basically religious painting at the time showed bible stories and they didn't really mess with the narrative Oh look, Frida's down there. Oh yeah, there's a mad cat. There's a mad
1: cat killing something.
0: Yeah. So this is supposed to be the Garden of Eden, but it looks like a very weird and disturbing place. It doesn't look like a particularly (laughs) nice garden. Look at the giraffe. I know. What is that?
1: That giraffe is insane.
0: (laughs) Adam and Eve are right at the front. So we know that this is about creation. You know, the first man, the first woman, where it all started. But what I love about this panel is that you can see a lot of Bosch's source material so clearly because he has literally lifted things from other places. Mm -hmm. One of the main ones is a book called the Nuremberg Chronicle, which had a huge influence on the painting. And I imagine he would have probably got hold of it through probably the Brotherhood of Our Lady because they had a very big library. Just to give you some context about this book, it was a book printed pre-16th century which apparently makes it something called an incanabula learn something new every day it was compiled by a humanist uh, called hartman Schadel, published in 1493 and its aim was to ambitious aim was to literally show the history of the world <laughs> in a book So, you've got to imagine at the time, I guess there wasn't a huge amount of known history in 1493. So, a lot of it is biblical stories and then some like pictures of current towns. So, there's a picture of London, there's a picture of London in it and stuff. And it's just like, like,
1: here's some really lofty like Bible stories, and here is uh, Coventry.
0: Yeah. And some stuff in between like, <laughs> and that's the world yeah and then he was like i've done it i've compiled it all <laughs> so that is so it's like this whole idea of co- co- collecting curiosities collecting art trying to bring together loads of knowledge in one place there it was they, all these people are quite lofty ideas and they all meant well <laughs> doesn't always come off <laughs> as well as planned but the great thing about this book and what Bosch would have loved is that it had over 1800 woodcut illustrations. A lot of it showing things that people would not have ever seen. So this guy who collated the book did collect a huge amount of... He would find drawings of exotic animals and stuff. He wanted to try and put all known knowledge into a book. One of the things that you can see very clear. I mean, so the giraffe here, mm-hmm. that was lifted straight from the Nuremberg chronicle next to what looks like some kind of a spaniel with two legs i don't know what the fuck that is what is that what is that <laughs> so i don't really know if that came from the book <laughs> that looks like a kangaroo had sex with a spaniel <laughs> what is going on yeah. i don't know, like
1: we want to document everything including shit we've just made up <laughs> yeah
0: i think i saw it it was moving really fast <laughs> <laughs> and also what i love is because he's clearly never seen a real giraffe the giraffe is just gray because yeah. he's just seen a drawing of one he's like i don't know what color it is it could be blue uh, he's, he's like i'm gonna play it safe i'm gonna assume it's gray <laughs> all animals are probably just a bit gray are aren't they? so he's, he's got, got
1: the elephant surprisingly right though hasn't he, he? he has
0: again i think that was also lifted from Probably from the same book, actually. Yeah, I mean, he's
1: also just lucky that elephants actually are grey. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But then, as we can see, there's, like, a unicorn... Which people did... Medieval people literally believed unicorns were real. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, that's because... So apparently, it's a i biblical- really
1: really do want to know though if there was like a mo- if the unicorn was like the medieval bigfoot so you've got some <laughs> bonkers people that were like i've seen it uh, i'm on the hunt for it and yeah. then other people just going it's not real <laughs> yeah if they
0: had like a channel five at the time yeah. <laughs> it would have just been hunts for the unicorn in search of unicorn and whatever the medieval equivalent of ice road truckers is <laughs> cold weather car drivers i've <laughs> <laughs> oh, got to get these fish to Coventry by five o'clock <laughs> so they believed unicorns were real but because of a again a mistranslation of the bible so it's actually the apparently it was wild ox is what it was and it got mistranslated somehow i don't know how that ended up as unicorn but it did and people were like sure unicorns they were there <laughs> But also uh, Bosch would have seen a lot of these animals in, again, in, in probably in the library from the sort of the margins of manuscripts, which are known as drolleries or like grotesques. That is
1: a lovely, lovely bit of
0: knowledge there. Yeah. So I've,
1: I know I know. obviously they're called grotesques, but I've never heard the... Was it drolleries? Yeah. Very good.
0: Because they're supposed to be like funny little... Right, and very good. And that's a lot of the madness you see in the middle panel is also kind of... I think yeah. you can see the uh, influence of crazy little Yeah,
1: I mean, that's doodles. a whole episode onto itself, isn't yeah. it? Like, the, gr- <laughs> the grotesques are incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, oh God, our, our episode's to-do list is getting longer and longer. <laughs> <laughs> what was wild about the kind of early renaissance is that you would get books of like bestiaries they would just have a mixture of like real animals and fate made up animals just <laughs> all in one book so they'd be like this is a giraffe it lives in this country it eats these things it looks like this here's a unicorn you might also see these in the wild
1: <laughs> they often hang out at the watering hole with the giraffes
0: yeah and scotland have <laughs> decided it's the national animal i'm obsessed
1: with this i was talking to somebody about this at work. Yeah. Like it's just great that scotland was like unicorn made up made up animal that's our national <laughs> animal yeah i love it and we we're just like stuck with the lion also not native to here no like like a lot of things we just stole out from africa yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, if ours was r- real like like our national would be a badger or something <laughs> porcupine not even a porcupine a hedgehog <laughs> <laughs> three hedgehogs on a shirt <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> the mighty hedgehogs. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the animals in this left-hand panel are doing two things. They are kind of showing the richness of creation. So you've got all of these exotic animals. You have a porcupine. Look, there's one there behind the giraffe. Um, next to a boar. And there's some sort of dancing <laughs> thing. Lizard. Don't know. Anyway. But at the same time as you have all of these animals there's um some sort of more kind of there's some more suggestive animals you've got some rabbits here at the front by adam and eve which i think is um clearly a reference to bonking Bonkin. <laughs> and also another thing that was very much lifted from the nuremberg chronicle is the really unusual tree next to adam which is known as a dragon tree and if you go to the Nuremberg Chronicle. You can see the exact same tree. Oh wow! From the same yeah. from the same scene. But he so in, in the Nuremberg Chronicle, it's not the tree of knowledge, but in Bosch's painting, it's the most unusual. It's it, all the other trees look very European, and yeah. then you've just got this crazy tree in the front. So it's clearly meant to stand out as the tree of knowledge. But what's interesting is that it's not you would assume in Eden it would be slap bang in the middle, because that's the most important thing. Instead, you have this weird, like, Willy Wonka fountain in the middle.
1: <laughs> that is so grotesque.
0: I just don't know how... It I looks f-
1: horrible, it's, like, doesn't fleshy it? fleshy and Yeah, but also, <laughs> like, but also, like, very, very buggy. Yeah. Like, it, yeah.
0: We can see some more, like, sinister kind of elements here. So you've got these very kind of slimy creatures to the right of this pink fountain. Basically, there are some animals here that are meant to be very clear, kind of harbingers of doom and signs of what's to come. So you've got these kind of slimy toads on the side, and they appear again throughout the other two panels. You also have, right in the middle of the fountain, so almost basically in the middle of the middle, slap bang in the centre of the left-hand panel, right in the middle of paradise, you have an owl
1: (laughs) sinister little owl sinister
0: owl we think owls are really cute (laughs) but back in the day owls were seen as signs of the devil they were seen as inherently evil uh so it's telling that Bosch has put this owl slap bang in the middle he's basically saying we're about to sin big time we're fucked. With We're heart. all fucked. Yeah, but I mean, look at the little owl. Oh, they're
1: so cute. He's so I small. don't understand how they can be like harbages of death, bringers of evil. Yeah.
0: Like... Well, I did some research into like <laughs> sinister. Owl. Look at him. He's so cute. So <laughs> small. I looked into it, and Jemba, I discovered. Call back to our first episode, and Lilith, the screech owl. That <laughs> yeah. there is a link between. There's a link between demons, evil. Owls and Lilith, right. they all kind of they all hang about together in the same sort of area. So apparently, Lilith means. Oh, do you remember we discovered that yeah. Lilith could be mean screech, screech owl <laughs> It turns out screech owls are real. They're very cute. There's a screech oh. owl. So fluffy, small, so oh, the little eyes. But Lilith could can also mean of the night so so
1: there's a nocturnal thing there's a
0: nocturnal thing the idea that um got some really shit medieval owls here here to look at because apparently why
1: does that owl look like salvador
0: dali (laughs) (laughs) so the owl is really important to bosch and it comes up in in every panel symbolized evil didn't symbolize wisdom um it was believed to frequent tombs dark caves and would fly only at night because on the rare occasions when it came out during the day it got mobbed by other birds who would try to kill it because that's how evil it was and none of
1: this is true it's all made up, it's all made up. i mean
0: apart from the nocturnal thing none of this is true <laughs> i think medieval logic was night bad i'll fly at night Owl bad, bad. Yeah. basically.
1: <laughs> so also, we've discussed this before, but it never stops making me laugh. Like medieval owls are terrible. Like, they are so they are so no unrealistic. For it.
0: Yeah. You can get a giraffe wrong. I don't mind. You yeah. can get a rhino wrong. You've never seen it.
1: Yeah, they're literally native to England. You've seen you've owls. seen owls. <laughs> like, you know what they look like. They don't look like Salvador Dali. Yeah, <laughs>
0: like,
1: this oh, it's, one. it's just it's got like a, a cock nose. It's
0: got a cock nose and the head of a cat <laughs> on the body of a really badly drawn bird yeah it was it was considered to bring like disease and death and all sorts of bad stuff Please scroll to a different owl it's really distracting me. <laughs> when when we're looking at this painting reframe how you think about owls before we move on because <laughs> you know otherwise you'll just be They'll just be distracting you with their cute little eyes and their oh. fluffy feathers. Um, I think also because, yeah, they, they flew at night. They killed things. They were very they were silent. Yeah. So I guess there's all sorts of... I mean, I do
1: understand that living with, with a, a silent predator myself. <laughs> I do yes. understand that something flying around at night silently and dragging rats into your house is not a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a- yeah. yeah, but it is kind of demonic. I get it. I get it. <laughs>
0: What he's done here is he's laid the groundwork in the left-hand panel and then we move on to the middle panel where it's just crazy shit, crazy shit everywhere. Look at it, it's just mad. There's just people everywhere and the first thing that is important is there's no real context for these naked people. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that in terms of the tradition of when you would paint naked people Adam and Eve is totally acceptable. Any like resurrected people, so like the last judgment, that's acceptable. Just like
1: permitted. Did you just say any
0: resurrected people? Yeah.
1: That's okay. So zombies are cool, but everything else.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And anything that was like a myth or an allegory, that was okay. Okay. That's none of these things. It's just a random made up garden with loads of people in it. I suppose you could say it's a kind of an allegory. Allegory, So I guess that's how we'd get away with it. But at the same time, there are sort of sinister things going on because another context in which you'd have had lots of nudity is like witches reveling in a state of kind of crazy possession. So there's this kind of tension between what looks like a sort of paradise garden, but also looks like some kind of crazed orgy and like what is driving all of these people to do all of these mad things we're thinking it's probably lost i would say one of the key things you can see is in the middle of the picture there's like a big circle of men riding all kinds of different beasts so like cows and horses and pigs some of them are also holding giant fish fishes with snake tongues fishes with snake tongues with a rabbit on top the scale is very out here as well bosh i mean um the fish is bigger
1: than five men like four for the listeners at home yeah
0: (laughs) there's um it's one of them's riding a giant cat A, a giant cat with with a what
1: is that like an antennae i don't
0: know is that like a fish on his head i don't <laughs> know it's um, got
1: a stingray on his head. head
0: but then actually the creature next to it has some kind of weird spike like a big horn coming out of his head that looks a bit like a broomstick that has an owl on it another lilith sinister owl Act it again bloody lilith <laughs> it's just crazy so that you've got this kind of mad procession going round and round And then in the middle are all these women in a pool of water and this big kind of circular procession conjures up images of some sort of like sort of fertility rituals, maypole dancing, that kind of thing. Yeah
1: for as much as we've talked about this being a catholic piece of work
0: mm.
1: it is very pagan like yeah. it's got a real pagan flex to it so mm. yeah you're right like the maple dancing the kind of fertility rituals the naked women cavorting in pools it, it all feels yeah. very pagan
0: the fruit yeah everywhere the fruit. which we'll get on to um the sexy strawberries big sexy strawberries do you want to see the shit pineapple yes bottom left hand corner Of the middle panel oh is that a pineapple (laughs) why has it got a
1: man in it i don't know (laughs) (laughs) a man and a
0: tube and a small rodent (laughs) yeah it's this weird pink thing i'd read all this stuff that said oh bosch painted a pineapple which is how we can date it to after columbus's expedition to find america but actually no he didn't find america he found it by accident but anyway uh, off topic I was looking for this pineapple everywhere. I was like, where is it? I've been looking. And then I was like, oh, that's the pineapple. <laughs> it
1: doesn't look anything like a pineapple, FYI.
0: That's very much like someone told me about a pineapple and I decided to try and draw it based on what they said. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway so
1: imagine uh, discovering a pineapple i mean just we've had this i've had this conversation a lot anyway because i've recently i've recently discovered the pineapple in my personal life i feel like a pineapple's not a fruit i really ate and then over the last year i've got really into them Mm. and they're just mind-blowing they look insane they taste insane they're just they're incredible fruit but could you imagine being like columbus and discovering a pineapple yeah (laughs) it would've I mean, unbelievable
0: i want to know if he figured out that you couldn't eat the outside bits
1: i mean yeah i want to
0: know if he really tried He <laughs>
1: just, just tried to bite into <laughs> it like an apple <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they didn't even have dentists then that would have been a terrible mistake
0: yeah also i mean i guess the pineapple takes so much work to get to the good bit yeah well. i
1: guess a native would have just shown him the do you know what i mean somebody yeah. who would like knows how to work a pineapple yeah. would have just shown him how to deal with the pineapple because you wouldn't necessarily know to like cut the core out and stuff but i can't imagine how much like you've got to bear in mind like what were people what, what were like medieval people eating do you know yeah, what i mean you didn't like, really
0: even have sugar until no. like the later renaissance <laughs> that
1: would have blown your mind
0: yeah 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 crazy <laughs> <laughs> just another little tidbit that this is clearly is this, this was painted in the middle of a period of of discovery it's important to point out as well I mean this idea of being fruitful and multiplying has clearly been taken to heart and there are <laughs> like but there's there's some very specific things about these people all the people here are adults in the prime of their lives you don't get no old people no kids. You have black and white people, none of them are actually having sex, that's kind of one of the most important things to note. This is clearly a painting about lust but it's all very symbolic and hidden beneath loads of layers of meaning, which is very Catholic. There is one scene which is tiny and it kind of echoes the little owl in the fountain in the first panel. If you go to the round blue fountain in the centre and zoom right in, you'll see what is probably the only depiction of actual sex. Oh, wow. It's so small. It's so small. <laughs> and a
1: bum. And a bum. That's my favourite bit. So, I like Like, So there's a guy that just has his hands um, on, like between a woman's legs. Yeah. But then also somebody's just mooning them.
0: <laughs> yeah. But... I think it's interesting. Like, this is probably the only really graphic scene of sex. I guess you've got lots of people face to face, lying mm. on top of each other, but they're also, all hidden. It's all a bit cheeky. Like, there's lots of
1: penetration in this, but it's not. It's it's rarely human to human penetration. Yeah, like,
0: it's lots of like um, flowers in bum holes and stuff. Yeah, uh, like the man in the little in the little orange tent in the bottom right hand yeah. with a, just with there's there's one man putting flowers in another man's asshole, which as we all know is, <laughs> is of just holding a giant fish <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like the
1: weirdest market you've ever been to <laughs>
0: yeah there's a lot of uh, uh, allusions to sex without actual sex happening like the, the flowers in the bum hole here that's clearly uh, some kind of allusion to uh homosexuality because there's two two men doing that but then you have other allusions to sex in different ways so i mean if we take the fruit as an example the fruit are outsized like the birds actually the birds are enormous
1: yeah everything's bigger than the humans really like the fish the birds the fruits. it's all huge like the the scale is very odd in this painting yeah which i think probably yeah alludes to more to symbolism than Mm -hmm. than anything else like he's clearly trying to make a point with his massive fruits
0: yeah people with cherries on their heads and 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 um yeah. And this like,
1: guy's just in a clam. Every time I look at this, I find a new thing. Yeah, with, and
0: he's pooping little pearls. He's pooping little pearls in a clam. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? I like how <laughs> someone has just been like, to Heron on a like, so what are you working on at the moment? Oh, I'm doing this whole painting about, like, you know, it's about, like, lust and it's about sort of creation and sex. like, <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> you see it and it's like, why is he in a clam why is he pooping pearls why is that man sticking flowers in that man's ass why is there an owl on top of a fruit with loads of dancing arms and legs in in the bottom right hand corner why is there a woman right in the bottom right hand corner who's just covered in hair except for her boobies (laughs) loads of people in tubes as well loads of people there's
1: lots of people in tubes in this and i find it
0: yeah there's lots like sort of very weird kind of slightly sort of phallic-y kind of. It's weird because are the tubes it's supposed so... to be vaginas or phalluses. I don't know. Do you know what
1: like I mean? it's so. It, but it's also like it's really sci-fi in a lot of ways. <laughs> yes. Like you could look at this painting if I did not know when this was painted. To me, I'd be like, that was painted by some weirdo in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, It's really like, it's got such a sci-fi flex. Like, mm. all of the kind of weird phallic buildings, buildings, mm. um, the tubes, the bubbles. Like, yeah. It I guess in some ways he was, he was really ahead of his time. He would have no way of knowing that, like this is what a lot of futurism would look like.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's true actually. And I mean, I guess now is probably a good point to talk about this theory that people, some people like to moot the theory that, you know, Bosch was high while he painted this because ergot, which is a um, fungus that grows on wheat, has a psychoactive property in it, which is actually what they isolated into LSD. Yeah. Uh, So people like to think that maybe Bosch was tripping while he painted this. Which, I mean, I can understand why people would think maybe, maybe this is just a crazy... I mean, a it does crazy, have a 70s flex. It has a <laughs> 70s trippy flex to it, for sure. <laughs> but, like, I I don't think so. Like, I, I just no, I think agree that actually there's just a lot of very, very entrenched symbolism here that uh, is just to to like modern eyes is just mad like, i also just get. think
1: like you get this argument all the time with a lot of crazy things that happen in history
2: mm, um so the like Ur-God the salem did it. yeah so like
1: the <laughs> salem witch trials that's like yeah. a really big theory behind the salem witch trials and like various things like that mm-hmm. and i just think it's, it's kind of like it's one of those lazy but hip arguments people mm. make like it's really popular but it doesn't at all i mean i i'm now off topic and i'm talking about the salem witch trials but it doesn't at all take in like the historical and political context mm. in which the salem witch trials were happening yeah it wasn't just a bunch of people tripping like there was loads of stuff going on there yeah and it
0: also doesn't explain i mean the practicalities of you're not taking lsd you're not taking this psychoactive isolated like ergot gave you so many horrible. You mm-hmm. were you were ill. It could actually kill you, I think. Yeah. And it was incredibly painful. And you had diarrhea. And you were so I can't. You know, you I don't know. I feel like to complete a massive work of art like this, you can't also be incredibly sick. Yeah. I think unless he had you know a very bad bout of the old ergot and then got over it and was like, I'm gonna paint my crazy <laughs> dream.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't buy the the ergot thing yeah. I've never bought it.
0: Yeah, are um. we? I'm gonna talk about a sexy strawberry yes that's why i was zooming in on it because i was like i think it's time to cover the big sexy fruit <laughs> so there's a lot of a lot of fruit in the middle panel you've got h- huge strawberries huge brambles huge cherries which are all quite so i mean even now cherries and strawberries are quite kind of I guess, sexy fruit. They have sexy connotations. I said this
1: to you before, though. I've never looked at a strawberry and thought, I want to fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't understand this. Yeah. Like, sexy strawberry thing. Cher- You're right, though. Like, the cherry is very... People talk about virginity as a cherry. And, yeah. like, people often talk about, like, a woman's clitoris as a cherry. And
0: apparently, I was looking up, apparently the, st- the strawberry is another thing that people referred to for the old... for the, the JJ. For the old yeah a lady's strawberry oh my god I, I like that one what did I find the other day mrs fubbs parlor or something that was a great <laughs> one that's what I'm gonna call mine from now on. mrs fubbs parlor that was in my history of sex book it's really good <laughs> and I think it's actually so again you have all these weird po- possible puns and symbols and stuff. I think fruits one of the clearest symbols that we still get from this painting today. Like I think it's kind of obvious. Also actually the word to be fair the word fruit is um I think it comes from the latin for in, to enjoy something. Right. Fruit. So the idea of people enjoying fruit is Is not new and i guess people do seem in this kind of almost like crazy euphoric state there's a guy right at the bottom of the painting in the kind of in the middle and he's just literally straddling like a strawberry (laughs) just taking huge bites out of it it's like people are almost kind of crazed and there's like people in circles around giant blackberries just taking chunks out of it there's a whole load of people right in the background all all circling this strawberry eating it and it is like a kind of it. it's kind of without actually showing any sex it does have this kind of yeah. orgiastic kind of vibe to yeah. it because of just because of all the fruit <laughs> I guess another important part to mention before we move on to the fun bit which is hell is in this panel he's again he's drawing on a lot of Earlier traditions, so the idea of romance or seduction happening in a garden is quite an old idea by this point. You have medieval courtly romances like *Romance of the Rose*, and that a lot of the kind of seduction happens in a very lush garden. Mm-hmm. And the idea of everything being like in full bloom, or f- everything you know, fruit being like right for the plucking and stuff—it's all kind of. It is quite. An erotic setting there's a lot about water and sexuality as well in medieval romances well, so this idea of like seduction by like a fountain yeah a, a, gushing, a gushing fountain, fountain. <laughs> um and it's also I mean, play- we
1: still use the water emoji for yeah. sex then. Like, it makes sense we do <laughs> although if anybody I'm sorry again sorry I just just like uh, public service announcement if anybody sex in emojis just don't like just don't
0: (laughs) although I might try I might say strawberry water (laughs) just see if Chris gets the hint (laughs) (laughs) strawberry water question mark (laughs) um yeah and so I guess it's that play on like Madonna whore thing or like Vice and virtue. You've got the fountain of life, and the flip side of that is the kind of the fountain in the in a like a medieval romance garden, yeah. which is like a sexy fountain and all the rest of it. So there's just a lot happening here. I don't know what else to say. I think we should move on. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, the bit that I think everyone knows the most, and I think it's the most. You know, it's like if it's it's the most memes if you're ever if you're into art history memes like we are then this is the bit <laughs> yeah. that gets used a lot i think it's got a lot of ref- you know it gets a lot of pop culture references because it's it is quite a it's quite an iconic painting of hell yeah and it's definitely one of the most creative takes on hell that i think has probably ever been painted and actually i think this is where you can read i think it's hell where you can really see Bosch's influence on surrealists I'll sort of talk about this later but we know, I mean much as I would refute the idea that Bosch was like a proto-surrealist because he was he was painting in his own time with his own set of ideas you can really see that he influenced people like Dali massively when you look at this this looks like the um, what's it? persistence of memory, the one with the melting clocks and yes, stuff, yeah. like you can see it all happening here What's interesting about hell is while the first two panels show lust, he he does show punishments for lust, but he shows punishments for a lot of things in hell that aren't lust. So for example, the really famous bit which is the uh the the bird eating the man <laughs> and he's got a cauldron on his head as a hat and the man has got has got birds flying, flying out of his, his ass. Ass. And the bird is eating people and shitting people into <laughs> a pit. That bit. Yeah, that bit. You know that bit. Well, <laughs> this pit also has... That uh, guy's shitting coins. That guy's shitting coins. So there's like a combination of sins going on here. There's You have greed as well as, as various other sins like so he's clearly lusts being punished but so are lots of other things you know people you know a man's got a recorder sticking out of his bum (laughs) i don't know i (laughs) you've got a man strung up on a harp and he looks like
1: he's been crucified as well he's been
0: crucified so oh well you get a little resurgence of the toad so the the little pool where the man's shitting coins and someone else is Vomiting into the pool and stuff. Uh, There's a woman who has a toad around her neck. Which is kind of like a callback to those toads that we saw in the first panel. So that sign of the devil is literally like around her neck now. We've got punishment for gambling. A little to the left. You can see the backgammon and the dice. We've got all sorts of things. We've We've got a man being kissed by a pig dressed as a nun <laughs> and he's being forced to sign some kind of a contract. It, it, it's just I feel like Bosch just I've I've always thought that like people are always much more creative with hell than they are with heaven. Yeah. Heaven's always very nice. But anything like Paradise Lost or they're like they're always the um inferno. The Inferno yeah people always have much more fun even greek myths like the punishments in hell are always very very elaborate and creative yeah another important bit from the
1: (laughs) which bit are you looking at what is this guy doing he looks like he's on a speedboat but he clearly isn't (laughs) (laughs) he's just like is he on a sled what is that
0: I don't know and it
1: does look like a boat of. oh no it is a sledge. you're right because your other man's got ice skates on yeah so hell is frozen over Hell's, in this
0: <laughs> hell is frozen over but it's also a fiery cesspit in the background this whole city so the cityscape i was talking about of like maybe Den Bosch being on fire you can see right in the background you've got all of these like flames and loads but also of- like in a way that is really just impressive
1: like mm. His understanding of light mm. and the way light works and how to paint it is mm. seems really impressive for the time he was painting. To mm. me, if you go up to those like flaming sort of scenes, there's, there's like a Turner-esque. It, it, yeah. it, it's like Turner-esque, right? It and is. you know, he's he's the great painter of light, isn't he? Turner. Yeah. And, you know, medieval art is not known for its like realism. <laughs> like, And, and yeah. obviously this is not re- like a real... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, yeah it's not like a realist painting by any means but he's the way he works with light i think is really impressive
0: i almost think that's why people are more drawn to hell than to the other two panels like i think because he's just got i mean apart from the madness my, going on down here there's just such I a just, command of like
1: i can't deal with the egg bot witch hat man like well, it's just okay. incredible it, it's incredible it's ne- one of my favorite things I ever painted <laughs> yeah
0: so this apparently this this bit is known as this is right in the middle and it's known as the tree man and it crops up in i think some other drawings of Bosch's, and people think that the face of the tree man is a little cheeky self-portrait i did wonder mm. i did wonder
1: if that was him yeah
0: um... <laughs> <laughs> it's just other crit like why are there ears with a knife what? i don't what is going on
1: there's a monkey inside the ear also i like if that is a self-portrait right if we go back down to egg tree man he's got such a smug expression (laughs) on his face he's like "Mm -hmm." told you bitches i'm like you're in hell as well bosh (laughs) (laughs) nobody escaped this (laughs) i i don't be that i told you so guy yeah
0: there's also these very weird like kind of ball bag looking bagpipe on his head. What is this? <laughs> and look at what's go- and there's a little there's a Oh little... is there another nun? Oh yeah. I like... feel like he's
1: really coming from the nuns. Yeah. What's yeah. his beef with nuns?
0: Oh, they're not so bad are they? They're alright. Also as a
1: Catholic you're supposed to respect the nuns.
0: I know. I mean they're the ones really not having any of the sex. So yeah. <laughs> married to Jesus. So yeah I don't know. I wonder if there's like a thing about
1: fake I don't really know how to put it. It's like fake Catholicism. I suppose... So people who are not really that pious. So like, um, priests that are in it for themselves or nuns that are in it for themselves. It it was, I mean,
0: it was a career at the time. Yeah. And some people, I mean, I'm not sure about this because I feel like Bosch was quite pro-Catholic and, uh, I don't know, the Reformation hadn't fully kicked off until after he died. But, um, some people think the pig nun in the bottom right-hand corner is uh some kind of reference to indulgences which is where people could essentially pay the church lots of money to pray their sins away right okay um so yeah the idea that you could actually if you had the money you could you could just pay off your your sins sins and do whatever (gasps) you wanted with impunity
1: i feel like that's not a, I, I get what you're saying about him being quite pro-catholic but i think yeah. actually if you if you are a very like pious person mm. it's not you know you often criticize things from within because you want them to be better so yeah, I, d- I don't true. find that idea so um out there out there yeah. and you know like protestantism happened for a reason like mm. there was stuff going wrong in the catholic church
0: very true Another, one of my favourite bits from this It's a picture of a man in hell with music on his butt. Yeah. He has some <laughs> butt music going on. And so, so
1: yeah, there's, there's a, li- like, there's a score written across a man's butt cheek, which is also being pointed li- at, pointed at or licked well, as well by, yeah, some... pointed at by some man and licked by some beast.
0: By some beast. <laughs> What I love about this is that someone has zoomed right in on this man's butt cheeks and transcribed this butt music from hell. (laughs) And you can, if you really want to, listen to the butt music from hell. It's on Spotify. on all good musical streaming platforms i'm sure it's like a weird i want to say a viral phenomenon it is but amongst very specific (laughs) nerds like ourselves (laughs) um but yeah but some someone has literally figured out the notation set it to music and it is great so
1: and we are lucky enough actually to have been given permission to use a little bit of it in the show yeah
0: i was this was a really long i i had to contact the band so i had to i had to track the band down right and then i, I messaged them on face on, on facebook and i said i really love your butt music from hell <laughs> do we have permission to play your butt music from hell in our episode and the the they they kind, they, they then referred me to the composer <laughs> had to ask the composer if i could play his butt music from hell he kindly said yes thank you jim here it is take it away a little clip of the butt music from hell I mean, I guess we've had a whistle-stop tour of this painting. I think in terms of focusing on one piece of art, this was quite an ambitious one to do. Because, yeah, just because it's so huge. And, yeah, I guess to end, in terms of talking about the legacy of Bosch's painting, I mean, it's had art historians tearing their hair out for centuries. Basically, ever since it was painted, people don't really know what it's about. It's in the Prado in Madrid now. The reason for that and the reason that a lot of uh, Bosch's works are now in the Prado is because Philip II of Spain, who was the husband of our bloody Mary, Mary I, a very devout Catholic king, actually bought lots of Bosch's paintings for his personal collection and obviously loved them for their their right on catholic message <laughs> and didn't enjoy them for the insane <laughs> fucking you
1: mean he really wasn't into the butt
0: music <laughs> <laughs> um and so like that's yeah that's that's the reason they're now in madrid and i think it's kind of interesting because he obviously liked them for their catholic symbolism but then fast forward a few centuries and Luis Buñuel and Salvador Dali went to go and see Bosch's work in the Prado and it really had a big influence on them and it it influenced their kind of crazy dreamscapes and I suppose actually in a way a lot of surrealism because they're kind of interested in like Freudianism and Freudian, Freudian stuff and suppressed impulses and mad dreams. You can see how a painting about lust and weird landscapes and would, yeah would appeal
1: it's kind of crazy and lucky and brilliant that it got saved and ended up in catholic spain because obviously like during the reformation would have just been destroyed yeah like yeah it, yeah it, i think we were so incredibly close to this like masterpiece being destroyed yeah um that it's really lucky and then yeah as you say and because it's hung in Spain, it then goes on to
0: like. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> some crazy it, yeah. so. <laughs> I just think it's a great piece of art. And if you've never seen it before, then I hope you enjoy it and think it's as batshit as we do. And I hope it haunts your dreams for <laughs> many years to come. And you can check out all the resources that I will share in the description if you want to find out more uh, about this crazy painting. For now, to play us out, The comedian Harriet Brain writes really funny songs about different bits of art and art history and she has very kindly allowed us to play her song all about Hieronymus Bosch. So um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this Bosch fest. Here is Harriet Brain. (laughs)
2: Take like a walk in the garden of earthly delights You are sure to see some lovely sights Like cute animals and funny hats But when you look a bit closer you're like Oh shit, that's one giant fucking clam And it's eating a man, oh no All the birds are massive and I'm surrounded by a mutant oh, That is so fucked up There's flowers growing out of that man's backside over there This is just an average night for Hieronymus Bosch He is proper hardcore, Jesus fucking Christ The pig dressed as a nun is trying to rape that guy This is just an average night for Hieronymus Bosch But can I go home now please? Lying around being used for anything but sound. See, look, there's a flute up someone's button. There's a guy hiding in that drum for deal life from a giant pair of ears with a knife between them. Oh this whole arrangement looks like a massive and balls. that is so fucked up. There's so much dangerous stuff at this party. This is just an average night for Hieronymus Bosch. He is proper hardcore. Jesus fucking Christ has a lizard with butterfly wings holding my hand. This is just an average night for Hieronymus Bosch. Can I go home now, please? Yeah, I like oh, yeah. Thanks for
1: listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe and leave a review as it makes a huge difference. And if you want to follow us, you can find us on Facebook at is it art though, spelt T H O, Instagram, is it underscore art though, and Twitter, is it art though one. See you next time.